Hi and welcome to this time of worship from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. We find ourselves back where we have already been today, both in our worship and in our lives as we settle into another period of lockdown. I wanted to say just a little bit about that before we begin our worship. Much of what we experience is framed by our attitude to it. If we set out feeling that it's a negative experience, we often confirm that view. If we see something as positive, then that's what we take from it, even when it's hard. I like questions a lot. You've probably noticed that by now. I came across a great question the other day. What does this make possible? Anything that happens makes some things impossible. Those are often the bits that we focus on. I can't do this. I'm not allowed to do that. And that's true of some really big and important things at the moment. However, there are also things that are made possible. I wonder what those possibilities are for us in this new situation. Let me give you an example and then offer you a tool to help. The Magi, the wise men, journeyed a long way to a strange land. They left much behind. They left their comfortable homes, their charts, their friends, their own food and culture and customs. They must have journeyed across some difficult terrain and difficult territories, all in a hope that they might encounter something important, something life-changing. I've been on some journeys like that, where things have been hard and the journey has been long and the conditions, well, they weren't quite what you would have hoped for. Some people grasp those possibilities and embrace the opportunities. Others spend so much time missing what they can't have, they end up missing what's right in front of them. So, to help us all to think about those possibilities, I'd like to offer you a star word. As the Magi journeyed to find the Christ child, they had a guide. They followed a star. It led them towards their goal, their destination, their end of their quest. I would like to invite you to ask for a star word. I have a little tin with almost 400 words in it, each of them in some way related to journey or faith or epiphany. The idea is that that word becomes your word for the year, a word to sit with, to contemplate, to pray over and to wonder at. So if you would like a word, then if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can just leave a comment below and ask for a word, or you can personal message me or the church, or you can email me at scutler.com at churchofscotland.org.uk and I'll pick you a word at random and send it to you. So let's begin our time of worship. In this place, wherever we are, in this moment, whatever time that is, we gather in God. Come and whisper your name, already familiar on the lips of God, and in the echoing silence, listen as heaven celebrates its sound. In this belonging place, may we gather and make a space to know God, just as God knows us. Loving God, may we hear the movement in the kingdom, the turning of the page, shifting from one chapter to the next, alive in its renewing for each new day. And may we trust that the companionship of faith of which we are all a part is always moving, growing and evolving through the freedom we give it, as we bring your words into the world and let them respond in this world. And may the invitation we accept to place your love within our neighbourhood 
Invite the movement that is the kingdom. Alive in the world. Engaged within the world. A word for the world. And as we pause here, may we draw breath. As we seek the space to confess. To let go of that which we can no longer hold. That hurts too much. That corrupts our relationships. That tarnishes our communities. And seek that place where fresh starts are possible and are blessed. May that space be here and that time be now. May we lay here by this waterside all we have done in the world that has been hurdles in our memories. Reminders only we know ourselves to show us as we really are May we lay here by this waterside all that reduces us and lessens us. May we place here by these waters the words used too often and the silences that have been too long. May we place here by these waters the anger we carry the humiliation that we have felt. May we place here by these waters the prejudice we have found in ourselves and the pain of its finding. May we pick up here from these waters the hope of the kingdom and the invitation to follow. May we pick up here from these waters the new beginning that is ours and the fresh breath of the Spirit. May we pick up here from these waters the love that holds us anew and never lets us go. May we pick up here from these waters the sense of who we are and the blessing that we are in this world. Hear us as we pray in your words, saying together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We read from Mark at chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. 
I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Christmas doesn't last long, does it? We get the big build-up and the long wait of Advent and, and then just 12 days. And then we come to Epiphany, where we remember the visit of the Magi and some significant time after the birth of Jesus. But we remain in the season of Epiphany for several weeks. As we heard from Martin last week, Epiphany means a moment of sudden and great realisation or revelation. So that's our lens for this and the coming weeks. What will we realise? What will be revealed? Today we're catapulted back into a story we've already heard at the start of Mark's Gospel. We've already been introduced to John the Baptist in Advent. And if you want a reminder, you can go back and listen or watch again on the website or the YouTube channel. John is a charismatic prophet. He's out there on the edge of the wilderness heralding the coming of the one who was much greater than him. The Messiah was here now and they didn't even know. Jesus comes to John and asks for baptism. But baptism is a calling on people to confess, to tell the truth about who they are and what they've done so that they can begin the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation. And that's a really important task and it seems like there's a real appetite for it as people come from all over. But there's a reason that John is calling on the people to sort themselves out beyond it being a good thing to do, which of course it is. Something is about to happen that will change everything. Or should that be someone is about to happen? We started reading at the beginning of Mark's Gospel again today just to remind ourselves how quickly Mark moves to the arrival of Jesus. But before we get to what Mark tells us, I want to say something about how he tells us. Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels, these stories of Jesus that we find at the start of the New Testament in our Bibles. And that's something that we take completely for granted, that we have Bibles or ebooks or apps or websites that we can just go to and read this story. Until the invention of the printing press in around 1440, almost no one had a book. Just for some context, the index of books in Cambridge University Library in 1557 lists fewer than 200 books. It now has over 8 million. When Mark started to write down the story of Jesus, it was in a time when nobody did that. It was hugely expensive. The materials were hard to come by. So things were very rarely written down. And when they were, they were precious. Instead, people memorised stories. We call that oral culture. Stories are told and retold in a format that's easy to remember. So writing down the story of Jesus is in itself a revolutionary act. Something fitting for a gospel that's probably the most revolutionary of all of them. So this written account means that the new believers will have a written text to make sure they get the stories right and people don't start making stuff up or getting confused or, or saying things that happened that didn't and, and passing on the wrong information. You know the, the type of thing, sending up reinforcements becomes sending up two and fourpence. So, so these words are important and Mark doesn't waste a single one. His writing can seem brief, almost too short sometimes, but he manages to pack in so much more than we often see at first glance. 
I've spoken before about how that first sentence, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is one of the most politically loaded sentences ever written. And Mark just keeps on going. We've spoken already about John the Baptist. So let's spend our time today looking at what happens when Jesus enters the story and what sudden or great revelation or realisation we might discover. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove in him and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Perhaps we should start with what's missing. John doesn't say anything. And Mark's telling John the Baptist says all the stuff about not being worthy to untie Jesus' sandals before Jesus even appears. There's no conversation, no identifying of Jesus as the one, nothing. We're told where Jesus came from and that John baptised him in the Jordan. There's an unspoken question that hangs around this story. What was Jesus doing before this? I mention the question not to be flippant, but because this is the first time that we've met Jesus. Mark has no story of the birth and there's none of the preamble of John's gospel about in the beginning and all that stuff. Fully grown Jesus just wanders up from Nazareth and gets baptised. But why? Why would the Son of God need or want to be baptised? We speak about Jesus as being without sin. So what's he doing taking part in a ritual that's all about confessing your wrongdoings? But that's not quite what's happening, is it? Confession, if you remember back to when we spoke about it at the start of Advent, is actually about truth-telling. Confession is one of those words that we use in different ways. We confess what we have done wrong, but we also confess what we believe. And both of those are about naming the truth. Naming the truth is the start of something, the first step. So when Jesus comes for baptism, it's, it's not because he has a long list of stuff that he needs to get off his chest. For him, this is a moment of truth-telling. But look at who does that. It's not John, and it's not Jesus either. Just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove in him. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Right? Okay then, that was um, unexpected. There's a lot going on in those two sentences. So let's start with the heavens were torn apart. I've already said that Mark's gospel is revolutionary and it's not just because Mark has written stuff down, which is revolutionary enough. Mark's gospel is a highly charged political statement advocating a complete overturning of how the world works. So we have to ask, how does that happen? How do things change? It starts with truth-telling. Someone tells their truth, their experience of the world, the way that something impacts on them. So for example... In any civil rights movement, people speak about an injustice or the application of prejudice or rules that, that don't work for them and, and how that affects them. But telling that truth isn't the only thing that happens. Just like where confession is the first step, it needs to lead to change or, or what's the point? Change comes when people hearing that truth realise their part in it and decide to work to get rid of that unfairness or prejudice. 
these great movements for change start small. They start on the edges, the boundaries, because the boundaries are the line where on one side people are in and on the other side people are out. Change is about boundary breaking. So there, on the edge of the wilderness, at the Jordan, the boundary between the wild and the tame, the rough and the smooth, the place of wandering and the place of settlement, as Jesus comes up out of the water, breaking the boundary between the wet and the dry, the water and the air, the heavens are torn apart. The very boundary between us and God is ripped in two, and the spirit like a dove breaks through, and the voice from heaven speaks, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The truth has been spoken. The confession has been made. But what now? Just as with any other confession, we now have a decision to make. What will we do with this truth? Will we deny it? Decide that it didn't really happen? Or that somehow it doesn't mean what it says? Or that it isn't a truth for us here and now? Or will we try to disprove it? To deny it, to undo it, trying our best to reseal the heavens and restore the boundary because, to be honest, that would be much better, wouldn't it? I mean, who wants God wandering around among us? That's way too much responsibility. That demands far too much from us because the telling of that truth means that we have to take seriously the fact that God has come to us in Jesus, that God is interested in reconciliation with us to transform the world. But here's the difference. Usually when someone who has been excluded or treated unfairly speaks their truth, we can decide not to listen. Or that their truth isn't our problem. Or that they aren't even really telling the truth because their experience is so far from ours that we can't even imagine what it must be like. So we ignore them. And we hope it'll all go away. Or we punish them for exposing something that we knew all along, but we went along with because it, well, it benefits us. We can decide not to move the boundary. We can decide to continue to exclude. But that's not quite the full truth of this event. God has decided to rip open the boundary. And there's nothing that we can do about that. We can't put it back, no matter how hard we might try. And to be honest, we've tried pretty hard throughout history. That boundary is forever broken. God is on the loose. And that's the truth. And if that revelation or realisation doesn't change everything, then I don't know what could.
forgiven and cherished. That's our truth. So may we go in peace. Go in the knowledge that you are a treasured member of God's family, a companion of Jesus along life's journeys and forever accompanied by the Holy Spirit. So go in the name of the three with the blessing of Father, Son and Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Amen.